Hey y'all, welcome to Adventures with Aggie brought to you by Coco's Coffee House. This week, we're doing a giveaway with Coco's Coffee on Wednesday, so tune in to our Instagram for more details about how you can get involved. This week, Adventures with Aggie is talking about lacrosse. We're starting the series with an interview with Scott Ratliff. He's a professional lacrosse player playing in the Premier Lacrosse League. He played collegiate level lacrosse at Loyola University of Maryland, and he's a five-time All-Star, five-time captain, 2018 Dave Huntley Man of the Year, and 2019 Wells Crowther Humanitarian Award winner. He also is a founder of the Give and Go Foundation. We're going to talk about his nonprofit, the Give Go Fund, a little bit more in this interview. So please welcome Scott. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I guess just to kind of get started, can you just tell me like some background, where you're from and what you do? Sure. Um, so I grew up in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I um, uh, currently live down in Atlanta, Georgia. So this is this is home. And I play professional lacrosse. I'm, I'll be entering my ninth pro season uh, this upcoming year. Um, I went to attended college at Loyola University in, in Baltimore, Maryland, and was lucky enough to to be part of a championship team there. Um, so my life uh, post college has been a little bit of a whirlwind. I never really ever imagined professional lacrosse as an option for me. I, there there was a league, and I knew of it. And frankly, I didn't think I'd be good enough, and had a, a, a really good running college, and, and had the opportunity to play. So. You know, I've committed the last decade of my life to, to lacrosse in a number of different ways. I coach uh, high school here in Atlanta. I play in my pro season in the summer. And then I also run a, a foundation called the Give and Go Foundation with, with one of my teammates, Adam Gittleman. And, uh, and we look to kind of grow and spread and share not just the game of lacrosse, but all the values and the community that comes with it um, all over the world. So I've been doing that for the last about four or five years. And I've gotten to travel quite a bit and, uh, and and kind of make a life out of the things I love. So that's kind of my story. I love that. I love it. I love it. Um, I can't say I'm super familiar with lacrosse. This was not something that I did growing up, but I love watching it. And I think it's so cool how much it's grown in the U.S. Um, just within the last, I don't know, five or 10 years, kind of like what you're talking about. Um, but I'm curious, like, why why lacrosse? Like, can you kind of tell me from the beginning, how did you get into it? And how did you know that this was your thing? Yeah, of course. Well, you're from Alabama, right? So I wouldn't expect you to have grown up with it. Um, it was really similar for me growing up in Atlanta. There was, it was, you know, we found one league that had four teams in the entire, like, metro Atlanta area. Um, my introduction to it was from my father. So my dad was uh, an All-American lacrosse player at University of Maryland. Um, honestly, I tell people his story is cool, cooler than mine. He grew up in Georgia and he moved to, to, to Baltimore and he kind of picked up lacrosse as a, a freshman or sophomore in high school when he moved up there. And he was ready to go to University of Maryland to play football. He was going there on a football scholarship and he got there in the summer for workouts and he played in like a pickup men's lacrosse league and the lacrosse coaches saw him play and said hey any chance you'd want to play both we have an extra spot um, and he went to the football coach and asked if he could play both and the football coach said no so he quit football and chose to play lacrosse instead and I tell that story because it I think it's reflective of my experience with the sport the reasons he chose it were um, well one he talked about injuries which is way ahead of his time to kind of see that in the 70s um, but the big one was he just said you know I loved football games um, but I, I hated practice. And I think, you know, a lot of athletes who have played that sport can relate to that. Um, where lacrosse, he was like, I loved it every single time I played. 
And so he introduced that, that sport to me at a really young age. And you know, I had a stick in my hands before I could walk and I would play with him in the backyard. And then as I started playing competitively, you know, I did everything. I ran cross country, football, basketball. I mean, I, pretty much every sport under the map I, I played at some point in my youth, but lacrosse was the only one that was consistent. And it was the same reasons that my dad laid out that I just, um, you know, of all the sports, lacrosse was the only one where there was never a practice where I was like, oh, I just don't feel like going today. Um, so I always really loved playing it. And, you know, my dream was to kind of follow in the foot in his footsteps and, and accomplish some of the same things that, that he was able to. And, and I was lucky enough to, uh, to get to live that. That's so cool. You know, the, what's that cliche that if you do what you love, you'll never feel like you worked a day in your life or something like that. That's what, that's what I'm feeling from this, from the story. No doubt. No doubt. And it's funny you actually bring that up and I don't mean to, to go rogue here, but after sure. college, I, I took a job in banking and I moved up to Manhattan and I was working in, you know, financial or, or uh, in financial consulting. And my parents had said that to me my whole life, you know, find something you love and you'll like all the time. And I was playing pro lacrosse. And at that time, a lot of guys were kind of juggling two jobs with pro lacrosse. And those words just kept ringing in my head. And so I called my dad one day and I said, you know, dad, I, I think I'm, I want to quit this job and move back to Atlanta and figure out how to be a full-time lacrosse player. And I'll, you know, figure, find a way to make money and I'll, I can train every day and I can commit to being a player. And he was like, what are you talking about? He was like, no, 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 you're, you definitely should not do that. Like you have a great job. And blah, blah, blah. And so I was able to turn his words on. And I was like, well, listen, all I can remember you telling me my whole youth is to is to do something I love. And, I, you know, I love the game. And I, and I, you know, it's not that I hated my job, but I just I hated that I was putting so much energy away from something that was going to take full commitment for me to be successful at. So um, I think I don't know if he if when I quit that job, I think he might have regretted that advice that he gave me my whole life. But now he recognizes that it was probably the uh, the right decision. Sure. That's, that's all that matters. You know, it worked out in the end when, um, when I was growing up, I had this sign in my room. I don't know, I guess it was a sign, some kind of decoration and on the wall. I saw it like every second I was in my room, it's so big, do what you love and love what you do. And that's kind of, I don't know, it's carried with me now. I don't have it here in my apartment in New York, but <laughs> um, think about it a lot, which is super fun. Um, but I guess let's go back to kind of your transition from college to professional lacrosse. Um, what was that like? And can you kind of just tell me some of the differences? Yeah, of course. So it was, it was challenging, you know, um, college lacrosse at that time, uh, was like the pinnacle seen as kind of the pinnacle of lacrosse. Again, there was a pro league, but it, it wasn't very established. The pay wasn't very good. It wasn't a full-time job the way that it is. It's become now. Um, so the biggest challenge in, in adjusting from college to pro wasn't actually on the field. It was figuring out without the structure of a team and coaches and workouts every day, how do you stay in shape and, and maximize your potential? And so I was really lucky to, to be drafted to a team called the Boston Cannons. And there were a lot of older players on that team who had made a full-time career in lacrosse. So um, while I was kind of starting that, you know, working in banking and I was commuting from New York City to Boston to play on weekends, um, I just realized in, in my first year or two that if I was going to last in this league and if I was going to maximize my potential, I would need to figure out a career or a situation where I could train and have a stick in my hands every day. And that's obviously a little tougher in Manhattan. I was in crunch fitness, you know, working out next to, to bankers. And, uh, and that just wasn't going to get, get it done for me as far as, uh, you know, the, reaching my potential on the field. So once I kind of made the commitment to pro lacrosse full time, and I moved back home where I had my trainers and my gym. And frankly, in Atlanta, there's just a lot more space to run. I love to run in the trails in the woods. And 
um, that was really when it clicked and, and I started finding a lot of success on the field. And I kind of realized like, okay, this is something, uh, I'm going to be able to do for a long time. So the on the field stuff, you know, the game's the game, right. And you, you learn and you figure that out. And, and I didn't find that to be, um, of course it is a level up high school to college and college to pro the skill level gets better and everything else. But, but, but it was unique in my situation where the real challenge was just learning to develop that discipline of, of training and diet and all those things you need to do on your own without, um, the same structure that a you have in college or that most other pro sports have when they're kind of more full-time. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge. You know, the, the way you feel as a team, it's very different, at least from what I can tell speaking with college athletes, I do a series on student athletes and I speak with professional athletes and you can tell that just the mindset is different, you know, like when you're trying to make a career out of it, rather than you're on scholarship or something like that. It's a very different vibe. Yeah. And like you in college, it's like your best friends and you, and you don't know anybody you're playing against. So it's very easy for this, like, you know, unity and bonding and you're young and you're excited. And um, you know, that's just not the case in the pros. And I know some people maybe prefer college sports because of that, but um, you know, it is what it is. When you get to the pro leagues, your best friend might be on the other team. Your best college teammate might be on the other team. When you get to my point, you've played nine years. It's like, you've played with multiple guys on every single team that you play against. So it does change the dynamic of it a little bit. Um, but I just think the people who are able to make it to this level, it doesn't matter when the game starts, you flip the switch and you've got that kind of warrior spirit. So, um, so that, yeah, again, for me, uh, and, and my competitive nature, that has never been too big of an adjustment. Sure. Sure. Well, let's talk about those nine years. Um, can you give me some highlights or like your favorite moments or some something that sticks out to you that you enjoyed the most in your career so far? So this, so I hate to, I hate to answer this way, but when you say what sticks out the most, the truth is, is that I haven't won a championship. I mean, it's like, I'm at this point in my career where it's the only thing I can think about, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to win one my junior year of college and you know, you kind of just felt like after that happened, it was like, all right, well, cool. This is the routine. I'll play a few years. It's not easy, but I'll, I'll keep winning. And my third year in pro lacrosse was, was a real highlight for me. I, I had probably the best season statistically I've ever had. And we were very, very close to winning a championship. So again, I think that gave me this false sense of, all right, well, it took me my third year in college. I won it. My third year in the pros, I was one goal away. Um, so I'll be back and I'll get this chance. And, you know, now here since that season, it's been another six and, and I haven't been able to get over that hump. So that's clearly where my mind is very occupied right now is uh, I'm eager to, to kind of get over that hump and, and win. Um, but other than that, you know, the, the best moments are just the places that the game has brought me and the people it's, it's brought me. I, I, you know, my closest friends in my life now are, are guys who I've played with professionally and, and they've helped to kind of mold me into, into who I am and, you know, just going through the ups and downs of life. I mean, forget the on the field stuff, but just going through life and having teammates still into your mid twenties and into your late twenties. Um, that's not common. And, and I see that in a lot of my other college teammates who aren't playing professional and, and who don't have that the way I do. So that's really what stands out to me is that even though it's not the same as college, um, being able to have that second family and that support system has been huge for me in, in my life. Definitely. I guess my first comment here, you got time. There's still time. to. There's time. <laughs> yeah, but I want to win a few. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I think I mean, that's normal, the crave to win, you know, that's why people love sports. Um, yeah, no, cool. Let's move into the Give and Go Foundation, though. Tell me about it. What's the mission? I guess, what what sparked this? Yeah, great question. So, yeah, the Give and Go Foundation, um, the mission, the mission statement as written is to empower 
underserved lacrosse communities worldwide. And we, you know, we left it intentionally vague because, you know, we wanted to understand how do we do that? And it's an and empowering and underserved community can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different places. And so uh, I guess I'll go to kind of the origin of it. You know, my teammate, Adam Gittleman, who I mentioned, and I both started traveling, you know, in our, around our mid twenties, uh, in our off season, just to go see the world and, and to do it. And we, we kind of thought, well, we're going to be in these foreign countries. Like it would be fun to just reach out to some lacrosse programs and show up at a practice and shoot around and maybe, you know, take a day off from the, from the drinks and the sightseeing and get a little exercise in. So we, we, um, both separately, you know, went to Japan and he was in Prague and like different places in Europe. And we started to realize like, there's a lot of lacrosse and, in those nations and more developed countries, it really reminded me of what lacrosse was like in Atlanta when I was growing up. Like it's there and there's people who play and there's leagues, but there's not coaching. There's not stores to get equipment. There's not, you know, access to kind of seeing yourself going to play it at a higher level. So it was very much like a hobby for different groups of friends in these countries. And the table really flipped when Adam and I took a trip together to Nicaragua. We went to Managua, Nicaragua with an existing nonprofit called Lacrosse Nations. And what they did was they created an after school program for um, underserved, an, an underserved community in Managua that was going to introduce lacrosse to these kids and give them an activity every day after school. So different from, you know, Asia and Europe where we had been and coached, this was not about developing lacrosse players or creating leagues or, sending you know kids off to college to play necessarily this was about giving these kids an outlet you know these were extremely poor families um who you know the parents didn't have the means to kind of help their their kids after school so these kids are finishing school and then they're going and you know they're sitting on the street and they're hanging out and, and and really don't have many mentors or a lot of structure to develop discipline and all the different things that playing youth sports does for you so we coached you know it was something like six hours a day for seven straight days and we both were just like blown away by the experience, what it did to us and our hearts and the impact it was making on kids. They were giving them, you know, once you come consistently for two months, you get a stick. Once you come another month, you get a ball, then you might get some gloves. And so it was doing so much more than just introducing the game. And, and I think anybody who's really loved the sport gets that, right? It's, it is about the sport, but it's, it's about what you learn from the sport, the mentors that you get from the sport, the friends and the community that the sport brings to you. Um, so after that trip, Adam and I, went down to Argentina and we were running clinics in Argentina again. And, and, and you know, we, of course, are always doing this for free and, and never asking for, for payment. And we got a call from the director of Lacrosse the Nations, the, the organization who said, you guys were posting on your social media while you were here. And we just had our best fundraising week of the year. And so that was like the light bulb moment where it was like, okay, we have a platform of people who love this sport and we can use this platform to fundraise for existing organizations like Lacrosse Nations. And so that's why we, you know, called it Give Go Fund was our, our kind of first initiatives were just to be a fundraising platform for them and for some of the programs we had met in Europe or met in Japan who needed just, you know, the extra resources, whether it's paying for field space or whether it's, you know, it's really expensive to ship equipment and get it through customs and do things like that. So could we help load some equipment on our back and bring it to these places and run free clinics and leave it there? Um, so we created the foundation at that point. And since then, it's just taken on a life of its own. You know, we get people from all over the world reaching out and basically explaining, look, this is, this is the way in which we're underserved. We, you know, we don't need financial help. We need coaches. Any way you could connect us with a college player who might want to live here for the summer and, and coach our team. Um, or in other programs, it's, we need equipment. You know, getting, getting through customs in our country is a huge 
you know, pain in the butt, any chance you could throw some bags on somebody's back who's flying over here and, and, and bring some equipment. So um, that's been primarily what we focused on is just equipment delivery, free instruction, um, whether that's us going and running, you know, a week of free clinics or whether that's, again, setting up American and Canadian lacrosse players to go stay in places for an extended period of time and help to build um, the organizations there and, and kind of coach the coaches. Um, and then the last piece of it, again, is the financial support. And so in, in some of the, the underdeveloped countries like Nicaragua and, and, and some of the other places that we've worked, um, you know, there we're, we're trying to help finance the programs that are on the ground that are changing lives and, and providing these after school programs for kids. Um, and obviously, you know, we feel like doing that through lacrosse, it's a, it's a sport that promotes creativity and exercise and all these things. Um, it's been really powerful and really fun to watch. It is really fun to watch. I love seeing this grow. Um, it's so cool. I guess my only follow-up is the language. You've mentioned so many places. When you're coaching these kids, can you speak to them? Do you, do you speak Japanese? I don't know what they speak in Prague, Czech, and Spanish. <laughs> um, I can run a practice in Spanish. So I wouldn't be able to sit here and have a conversation with you in Spanish, but if you get me on a field, like I know all the phrases I need to know to run, to run a practice. Um, so that's like the one language, but I love telling people this. So I've coached in close to 30 different countries and five different continents. And there's one language that's spoken all over the world. You know what that is? Body language. Yeah. So you get out there and even if they don't understand, if you're smiling and you're using your hands and you're pointing and you're demonstrating, like you figure it out, you know? So um, we've been lucky and we have, you know, we, we usually partner with some sort of organization on the ground um, and, you know, we get translators and things like that. But, you know, I, I, I try to teach this to, to my kids that I coach here domestically all the time. It really makes you realize how powerful body language is and just your, the energy that you bring and your facial expressions and your arm movements can pretty much get you through um, a practice, even if you don't have a translator. So that is a challenge, but uh, it's one that we've been able to, to work through. Definitely. Yeah, that's huge. I know there one coach sticks out in my mind, I guess, um, from my childhood playing sports and things. I had this one coach stood on the sidelines, just arms crossed you know, no emotion. He was just trying to process it. And that was super scary. <laughs> yes. Doesn't translate well. So I love that you focus on the body language and stuff because it's, it makes it happy, you know, like, I guess a little lighter, you know? No, exactly. That's exactly right. And, and I, I mean, I, I've noticed that with teammates. If you have a teammate who shows up on the bus to go to a practice and is always just in a good mood and is energetic and is smiling, it's contagious. So, you know, when we go do these clinics, the number one thing that's going to make kids retain and, and stick with the sport is having fun so that's obviously always the uh, the top and primary goal of any give and go event is that it's supposed to be really fun that's awesome that's so exciting i'm sure the kids love it um i'm curious though what what are you working on now what kinds of projects are you working on i know covid people are stuck at home it looks like you're at home as well <laughs> um mm -hmm. yeah what you got going on right now yeah. So COVID obviously presented a challenge. I mean, we're, you know, international travel is shut down and, and you're not really running lacrosse clinics or practices anywhere in the world. So we wanted to look at how could we still do something to make an impact. And, um, you know, with everything happening in, in our country um, over the kind of the, the course of this year, we were inspired to, to create a couple of scholarship funds. So we created a Kyle Harrison scholarship, which is um, Kyle Harrison's a, a legendary player. He still plays professionally. He's, um, if, if he's listening, he's getting old, but he's, I think he's got a couple, a couple more years left in him. 
Um, and he's one of the, you know, the icons in our sport. And he's an African-American uh, guy and, and has done an awful lot to promote diversity and inclusion within lacrosse, which to just speak frankly, is a massive issue for lacrosse. Uh, um, you know, we have a stereotype of privileged, rich, white kids, and that's not, it's not completely wrong. Um, you know, I think there is a lot of that in our sport. And I think a lot of the guys who play it at my level are really passionate about overcoming that and making the sport available to more people, um, but not just available, but also to, to feel more inclusive, right. And to educate and to be more inviting and to show these mentors like Kyle Harrison and, and, and that, that young black players can look up to. Um, so we created the Kyle Harrison scholarship, which will be awarded to, um, you know, one or two black lacrosse players in pursuit of higher education in lacrosse. And so we're accepting applications for that now. Um, and then we also created, we partnered with a group called Turtle Island Lacrosse. And Turtle Island is, is, uh, is started by two Native American players, Randy Statz and, and Brandon Bomberry. And lacrosse is an indigenous sport, right? It, it comes from um, the Iroquois people. And so again, when you think of the stereotype around lacrosse, you know, it, it, it's not our sport. Like we didn't come up with it. We weren't the first to play it. And so Turtle Island's really focused around educating about that and explaining the history of the game and what the game means to them. You know, it's not a sport for them. It's a form of prayer and a form of healing that they use to honor the creator. And again, I think anybody who really, really loves the sport feels that. And so we wanted to take an active role in one, um, similar to the Kyle Harrison scholarship, we'll provide a monetary scholarship to, to a handful of indigenous players in pursuit of higher education and lacrosse. But we also wanted to take an active role of bringing these guys from Turtle Island out into the world. And, and we think it's really important that wherever the game grows, the story of the game grows with it. And so, you know, Adam and myself do our best to stand up there and, and share the Native American roots, but we can't do it the way that, that Randy and Brendan and, and the indigenous players, and there's a lot of them in pro lacrosse, um, are able to do it. So on top of just providing the monetary scholarship, we're also going to have a partnership with them. And, you know, once COVID ends, get them out into the world and, and take them to all these different places that we've gotten to coach and, and allow them to, to tell the story of the game and, and the values that they believe it represents. Um, and, you know, we think that can be really powerful. So it was crazy because we were expecting this slow year in 2020 and we announced these two scholarships and we ended up having our best fundraising year yet, which is amazing because it'll allow us to, again, award more scholarships to more players in both of those communities. And, and we're really proud of that. Well, that's awesome. Congrats. That's so exciting. I love hearing success in, a, I guess, the midst of not great times we're in, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I'll definitely, I'm going to link the, the story in the comments just so people can check it out because I don't think that um, many people know that story. Kind of like what you're saying, the education piece of lacrosse is huge. And I mean, people like me, like, I don't know all the details of that either. This is new information as you're speaking to me, um, but that's, that's so, so important. And I think people realize that now too, as well. Like they're trying to learn more about the roots of all sports, which is so interesting. No doubt. And it's something that was really cool was in our, in the professional league championship, a guy named Zed Williams, who's a, a, an indigenous player, um, won MVP and in the, and his team won the championship. And in the post-game celebration, you know, everybody else just throws their sticks and their gloves in the air and they're all on stage and getting the trophy and drinking the champagne. Well, Zed is holding his stick. You know, he's got his MVP trophy, the championship trophy. He's doing an interview with the microphone and he has his stick in his hands and the reason for that is is the stick is sacred to them so you know again it's truly um brings a lot of perspective when you're playing a game and you're doing it for money or whatever else to just realize that yes he's playing a game and he's really freaking good at it 
but it's it's about so much more to him it's about his family and his history and his heritage and to him that you know again that stick is is a form of prayer and i think that i think that the more people that understand that about the sport will be drawn to it so i think it's a really important story to to kind of tell and to spread Definitely, definitely. That's so cool to see. You see it happening now. I think like once people know the story, they'll become more aware and like understand um, just what they're watching and then also why people are the way they are, which is totally. I love talking about that. Like what makes you, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of yes, like what we we're talking exactly. about at the beginning of this show too. Um, awesome. Well, I guess what are the, what are the long-term goals for the Give Go Fund? What do you have coming up? I know you had a lot of success this year, but what's next? Yeah, so that's a good question. You know, again, we it's really been just kind of a whirlwind of going wherever the game takes us as far as, pe- again, people reaching out. Um, so our, our, our goals are just to continue to grow. You know, we're still, you know, relatively small. Um, and so just kind of finding the capacity to be able to take on more projects and, and get more actively involved, specifically in growing youth lacrosse. So, you know, we feel like we have a pretty good stronghold in, in Central and South America and with some of these after-school programs. And that's really providing it for kids, which is where we feel like it can make the most impact. In, in more developed countries, it's a lot of times it's college and out of college age kids, people playing, and they do it as a rec sport and a club sport. And, you know, maybe they'll try to make a national team and things like that. And that's great. And we love helping and supporting them. But our goal is to, is to empower them to, to start youth leagues, right? Because again, what, you know, getting into it at a young age is where it can really change your life and where you can really learn a lot of these values and, and, and being welcomed into the community. Um, so there's a number of ways of doing that, but the, the biggest way for us is we leave them with the equipment to be able to go into a school and you go into a PE class. And again, this is stuff that I've been doing in Atlanta since I you know, ha- started kind of playing in college and beyond to get the game to grow. And you show up in a school and you say, Hey, can we come run PE for a day? And you pass out a bunch of sticks and you introduce the game and you, you teach them to catch and throw and you leave them with a flyer saying we have tryouts or camp or whatever. Um, so that's kind of our, our immediate like target is to just figure out specifically in Europe um, where the game is really budding and it's, it's teetering on the edge of becoming a mainstream sport over there. Um, we want to be kind of really actively involved in, in helping to start uh, some youth programs over there. And we've been able to do that in, in countries like Belgium. Um, and we're working on some stuff in, in Germany and other places. So we're excited about that. That's awesome. I know we did have some, um, I guess, people like you when I was in elementary school middle school something like that someone did come and they tried to teach me lacrosse I couldn't figure it out wasn't my favorite thing but (laughs) I do remember that still and it was it was fun it was fun while it lasted I know they brought some sticks and some trash cans for us to shoot into and um, that's exactly it was it obviously impacted me. I remember it however many years later. So <laughs> yes. Well, and one of the things that actually is, is hard is you need proper equipment. Like if, if you get a stick, that's just like somebody's old worn out stick and it doesn't work, you don't retain kids because they go to throw and the ball doesn't go where they want. And they say, this is stupid. And they walk away. So helping that. And that's what you find in a lot of these countries is hand-me-down stuff that's been donated and sent. So b- being able to, you know, we've partnered with some really cool companies to be able to provide like well-strung, you know, the stringing goes inside the stick, like well-strung sticks that work so that when kids go to throw with it, they, again, hopefully, you know, kind of fall in love with it because they don't find it quite as difficult as playing with the, uh, with the worn out gear. So that's, that's a big piece to, uh, to keeping kids in the game. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Awesome. Well, I guess my last question for you, I always end my shows on advice. So what piece of advice would you give young lacrosse players looking to get into the sport? 
Um, good question. So the first piece of advice, uh, I have a, I have a couple here. I, I tend to not answer it very well short-winded. Um, the okay. first piece of advice is to, is to fall in love with your stick. You know, get, go back to, to the natives and the ones who have taught us the game. And it's the better you treat the stick, the better it's going to treat you. So carrying it around your house and, you know, spending time like banging in the pocket and feeling it and knowing it, like they'll tell you sleep with it and, you know, never leave it on the ground and like little things like that. But I, I really think there's, there's something to that. I and mean, the best players that sticks an extension of your body and it does, you know, you can mindlessly get it to do whatever you want it to do. So that's it. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can be big, short, skinny, fat, fast, slow. There's a spot for all body types and athletes on the lacrosse field. And that's one of the really cool, unique things about the sport. But the prerequisite is you have to be great with your stick if you want to play at a high level. So um, that was something that drew me to it. I loved basketball, but I'm 5'11". Like I just, my ceiling was probably, Probably going to be a little lower in basketball than it was going to be in lacrosse. Um, so I, I love sharing that with people that, you know, some of the best players in the world are, I've got a guy on my team who's five, seven, he was the all time leading scorer and NCAA lacrosse for a little while. And then you can, you know, you have some other guys that look like NFL tight ends and they're playing on the same field and they're both effective. So that's a really cool piece of it. So fall in love with your stick, make that the priority would be, would be number one. Um, and then the other piece of advice, and, and this is just kind of the more, more the general life advice that has really helped me through the years is just to trust yourself. Um, when I like look at my path, there were a lot of times where had I listened to other people, I mentioned my dad and, and people close to me, um, I wouldn't have ended up where I ended up. You know, I was originally committed to go to the Naval Academy and, and I was going to go to prep school and go there. Um, I got an offer to play at Loyola really late. I knew in my gut that that's what I wanted to do. I was a lot of voices telling me, you know, that's not a good decision. Navy's better. It's free education, all this stuff. Um, but I, I, my mom was, was wise enough to tell me, Hey, trust yourself at the end of the day. And here I make this decision to go to Loyola and we end up winning a championship and it, it changes the course of my life. And then same thing with that moment working in banking, you know, I'm, I'm here I am. And I look a lot different than I did do now. I'm clean cut and, and no tattoos anywhere and all this stuff. And, um, I knew in my heart what I wanted. And despite most people telling me this isn't a good idea, you're not gonna be able to make a living doing this, anything else. Um, I trusted myself uh, over those voices. And, you know, here I am nine years later, still doing it and, and making a living. So um, those two things, love that stick, take care of that stick and, and trust yourself. And if, if your heart loves this game, follow it because uh, it can take you to really great places. That's awesome advice. It worked out. You're, you're the case study. It worked out for you. I think people should follow in your footsteps but um, just kind of wrapping up here how can people get in touch and get involved with give go fund and yourself yeah absolutely so social media you know these days is is the place to do it so give go fund on all the big ones in twitter and facebook and, and instagram and it's just you know at give go fund and, and our website give if, if you want to donate um and i'm on all the social media platforms as well scott ratliff too i uh, I write poetry, so my Instagram account um, may may not have quite as much lacrosse as, as people like, but uh, that's okay. If you wanna if you wanna read some poems about nature, then then come check me out. And of course, once the season comes, there'll be some uh, some highlights and some things popping up there as well. So really appreciate you having me on. I think it's freaking awesome what you're doing. Congratulations on all your success, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll cross paths again in the future, and you'll have a hundred thousand listeners, and and uh, who knows where I'll be. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Scott, thank you so much for sharing your story. Tune in on Friday for an episode with John Yeager. John has done so much in his career, but he's here to tell us about his new book called The Coaching Zone, which is launching this week. 
So tune in on Friday to hear from John Yeager.